Welcome back, back to another episode of Husky Talk. Our guest today is a retired musher that has and the editor several times. When she was running sled dog, she ran with Siberian Huskies. She is also still involved with the editor as often. She is a race judge. Please welcome to the show, Erin Ramstead. Hello, Karen. Thanks for joining us again on Husky Talk. Happy to do it. So, would you like to start off with, uh, by giving us a little um, history about your background in sled dog racing? Sure. Um, I bought my first Siberian Husky in 1989, I think, and then uh, ran my first Iditarod in 2000, and ran 11 Iditarods after that, my last one being in 2014, and then for the last, um, on and off for the last Five years or so, I've been a judge out on Iditarod, so staying involved in the, on the trail in a little bit. So why did you uh, get into sled dog mushing? Um, so my husband wanted to move to northern Alberta, and uh, as a bride to convince me to go, because I had a job that I loved very much in Calgary, and all my family was in Calgary. And uh, he said if I moved, he'd buy me a purebred dog. And I kind of researched different breeds of dogs that I thought I might like and uh, settled on a Siberian Husky. And the folks that I bought my first Siberian Husky from were into racing, uh, not distance racing, but sprint racing. And I went out to their place and they took me for a dog sled ride and I got a all, all the students around the, uh, around the country are about to finish up a crazy school year. Uh, we had to persevere through quite a bit in this last year. We went from online learning to hybrid learning uh, to the first half of at least our school uh, uh, back to 100% in February. Uh, we had just found out today that masks are now optional at our school. Uh, getting through this year was difficult, and many people had to show a lot of uh, perseverance. Uh, we can compare this per- perseverance to an award the Iditarod gives out called the Red Lantern. You won the Red Lantern in uh, 2001, so like, do you know the history of the Red Lantern? Yeah, so the Red Lantern Award, uh, traditionally when... Um, Roadhouses knew um, that there was a team left out on the trail, that there was a team still coming in or they were expecting a team to arrive that night. They would leave a red lantern lit in the window of the roadhouse to help the the traveler find the roadhouse in the dark. So um, I did accept it or um, honoring that tradition came up with the red lantern award for the last team uh, to finish the Iditarod, and the uh, uh, Red Lantern is hanging on the Burl Arch in Nome, and uh, it remains lit until the final final muster is in off the trail. Did you know the Red Lantern started off as a joke in 1953 during the um, Fur Rendezvous? No, I was not aware of that. Uh, yeah, it symbolizes uh, perseverance, the perseverance of a musher, uh, and the musher feels a sense of pride and accomplishment when they receive it. How did you feel when you received this award? 
Well, that's a good question. First of all, that's a long time ago. Um, obviously, that was like 20 years ago that I, oh, wow, that seems like a really long time ago now that you put it that, that I put it that way. But, uh, I mean, I my very first Iditarod in 2000, um, I ended up having scratch and check tulip, which is, as you guys know, quite a ways into the race. So it was... Uh, uh, a big struggle for me and, and a lot of tears were shed and it was a really tough time and so to come back the next year and finish I was just so happy to finish that it really the Red Lantern was nice but it wasn't you know um, it was the finish that was most important to me that's amazing uh, like you said, you did make an attempt to, to finish it, the Iditarod in 2000, but 2001 was your first Iditarod finish. Talk talk to us about how this race, uh, like how was it, and the experience you had. Um, in, in terms of the 2001 race or the 2000 yeah. race? 2001. The 2000. uh, 2001. So the 2000 race was, I mean, it, it went, I had been preparing for years and was super excited to be out there on the trail, and I had been a fan of Iditarod way, way before I was even a dog musher. So to be out there with all these names I knew and visiting these places I knew was amazing, and it was wonderful. Um, and then when I got to Shaktulik, um, I couldn't get my dog team to leave. They kept stalling out as I tried to leave the village, they just, it's a really hard village to leave because you're on flat sea ice pretty much as soon as you leave. And there's just the, to the dogs, it's just intimidating to look at. And uh, I had gone out, tried to leave and had no luck and come back in and rested. And I think I rested two different times and tried to leave on a number of occasions and, and uh, tried tricks like following other teams out and, things like that, none of it was working, and I, I just knew that I had made a lot of rookie mistakes in how I managed my dog team out on the trail, and ultimately, uh, I knew that it was time that I call it quits and go home, and that was super hard, because I, I kind of thought once I was so far down in the race and on the coast, that finishing was almost a given. So it kind of hit me by surprise that I wasn't able to finish. And uh, it was a really tough time. Yeah, well, on that topic, what did the finish line feel like when you did finish? Like, were there a lot of people there? Uh, what was going through your head? Um, yeah, there's a fair, you know, for the Red Lantern finisher, there's usually a lot of people there because it's the last one, right? So... Um, but most important to me, my family was there, um, and my husband was there waiting for me, and that, that was the more important um, thing to me than, you know, a big crowd or anything like that. Now, the award is called the Red Lantern Award. Did you actually receive a Red Lantern? I do, and it's actually sitting up on the mantle of my fireplace that I can see uh, as I'm sitting here talking to you guys. So what lesson did you learn from that race? Um, uh, all, every Iditarod has something to teach every musher. And it's each, 
each one has been different and had unique challenges. I think perseverance would be the um, the biggest thing that I learned, and <clears throat> that taking what seems like a failure and and turning it into a success was an important thing. Um, for me, I always said that 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 I did a ride wasn't. Uh, 1100 mile journey it was a two-year journey for me and probably more than that because of years getting prepared um that that all of that went into that that final finish um the failed attempt in 2000 and then and then the success in 2001 all of that was celebrated at the finish line yeah. You continued to race up until 2014, and now sometimes you are a race judge. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of changes since 2001. Could you talk about uh, some of the biggest changes you've seen? Sure. I, I think, you know, in terms of the technology changes a lot. Um, in terms of that, we see things like headlights, uh, the, the headlights that we used to use and the giant heavy battery packs and you had all kinds of deep, big D-cell batteries in your drop bags to power those battery packs. And nowadays, you know, little tiny LED lights that throw out more light than we could have ever dreamed of um, with those great big battery packs and light and bulbs. We used to have to have little bulbs in our headlamps that would burn out and there you are in the dark in the middle of the night trying to fiddle with a little a little bulb to change it. That, that's been a huge advancement in technology and a huge advantage for mushers competing today. And then there's the fun things like when I started uh, racing dogs, Walkmans were still the thing we used. If you wanted to listen to music or anything on the trail, uh, you used a Walkman with, eight, with um, cassette tapes in it. And as the batteries died on those, the music would slow down. So you'd listen to, and, we, and you'd only have, because you wouldn't pack a whole bunch of cassette tapes with you, so you'd, you'd only have 60 minutes or 90 minutes worth of music that you'd listen to over and over and over. And then it would slow down because your batteries were dying. So it, nowadays, thousands of songs to pick from on one tiny little device that you can throw in your pocket. I was one of the first ones to run a, um, uh, an iPod on the trail. Um, that was the first generation one. I remember sitting watching the Oprah Winfrey show one day, and it was her list of her favorite things, and that was on there. And I thought that was just the, man, that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And one of my fans bought one for me to run on the trail that year. Um, and it was just fabulous. Uh, what is something that uh, is in place now that you wish you had back when you started? Um, I don't know that there's any new things that I that I wish that I had. Lots of things I think about the race as it was when I first started out. Um, I I'm glad that I ran in those days. We camped a lot more in those days. We didn't do the the huge pushes, you know, I remember staying out at um, Buffalo Camp on the trail between Rome and Nikolai, and usually everybody would run out to Buffalo Camp and stop and camp there and start fires and that kind of thing. And, and I thought it was a different 
style of race then, and, and I'm glad that I have the opportunity to experience it. I don't know that there's any one thing that I see today and think, oh, I wish we had had that. So what are you up to now that you're retired? Um, well, I have. So, you know, dogs are a big part of my life. There's, for me, it was always about um, the relationship I had with my sled dogs and honoring that relationship. So I couldn't quite just walk away from dogs entirely. So um, I got into Border Collies, and I compete with my Border Collies in herding competitions. And that's kind of, I know it doesn't sound like it's similar, but it really is because basically sled dogs running are dogs that are running because that's their instinct. That's what they're bred, and they have that innate desire to want to be able to run and travel kind of thing. And border collies are the same. They have that same innate desire and instinct to want to do something. It's just that what they want to do is move sheep and herd sheep. Um, so I like the drive that the dog has, and it's the same kind of relationship where you're taking something that they want to do so badly, and then you're shaping that to help you out in your everyday life. Yeah, uh, if you're not like judge, like a race judge, do you still follow the Iditarod pretty closely? Oh, of course. Um, I've been pretty much this year. I couldn't go up because of COVID. Um, and the, the, it's very difficult to travel um, to the U.S. from Canada right now, so that wasn't an option for me. Um, but I certainly followed the race very closely. I, I subscribe to the Insider and, and keep an eye on it, so yeah. We have a new segment on our show called Mushroom Mashup. Uh, what, are, what we are going to do is give you a major event in history, uh, a sporting event, the number one song of a year, and the Iditarod champion. They are, they all happen in the same year. After we give you all these all the events, you try to guess the year. Makes sense? Okay. Sounds good. Uh, the president was George W. Bush. The top song of the year was All For You by Janet Jackson. The Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series, and the Iditarod champion was Doug Swingley. Do you know the year? Well, let me think on that. Um, I'm going to guess 2001. You're correct. First of all, I, I have to cut me a little bit of slack because I don't know you as very well. Oh, that's true. She's um, Canada. Because I'm Canadian, so I have no clue about presidents, but I do know that Doug Swingley ran the, won the race in 2001. Um, so that's what I'm going to get. I really should have given you yep. Canada's history. Uh, <laughs> and I remember that because I was sitting in Shaq Tulik, serving out my, or resting in Shaq Tulik with my team. No, I was resting in Koyak with the team. And there was a signed trail marker there from Doug Swingley. And it said, Doug Swingley, 2001, I did a champion. And I said to somebody, boy, that, that's pretty confident of him if he signed that trail marker on his way through um, as the 2001 champion when he was still so far from the finish line. And one of the checkers said to me, Karen, he's finished. He got on a plane. He flew out here to visit with the locals. 
So I need the trail marker, and he's back in Nome for the banquet. Mm -hmm. So he had been finished for many days when I was out there in Koya. Yeah. Uh, we, we should have given you Canada history. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Thanks for talking with us today, Karen. Um, have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Special thanks to our guest, Karen Rampstead, uh, for being on the show this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear, hear from you or you leave a review, we'll read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. And now, enjoy a clip of er, from the number one song of 2001, All For You by Janet Jackson. <laughs>